Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome everybody back to Talking Ball. I'm Pat Leonard from the New York Daily News here on the Believe Podcast Network. Week 9 of the NFL is here. Can't believe we're this deep into the season. Huge news coming down the day I sit here recording this podcast on the Washington Commanders. We're going to get to that in a second. Really quickly, though, excited that a couple sponsors have jumped on board starting here in episode, officially episode 10, if you don't include our instant reaction to the Kadarius Tony trade. But Bet Online is on board. We're thrilled to have them. Remember to stand and stay here into the third segment and our final segment for Pat's picks and some of my favorite picks every week. And that brings us to our first of many, we hope, live reads. Basketball is back and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BELIEVE, that's all caps B L E A V, to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. And where our game starts is in Washington, D.C., where the commanders, the Snyders, are willing to sell the team. Forbes reports that the Snyders are looking into selling at least part of the franchise. And there has been no pushback to me or to anybody else covering the league as we have dug into this throughout the day that it would not be a sale of the entire franchise. Some speculation that the Snyders would only try to sell a piece. But I've talked to sources already who remind me, tell me that the Snyders in this franchise, they are, quote, cash poor. And given all of the scandals and investigations surrounding them and the pressure put by Colts owner Jim Ursay, as well as others behind the scenes, it seems to have finally come to a head. And the Washington commander's statement that appears to confirm the Forbes report that I obtained from, from a source as well. Uh, Dan and Tanya Snyder and the Washington Commanders announced today that they have hired B of A, that's Bank of America Securities, to consider potential transactions. The Snyders remain committed to the team, all of its employees, and its countless fans to put, putting the best product on the field and continuing the work to set the gold standard for workplaces in the NFL. Because that statement was a little bit vague, uh, a lot of reporters, including myself, reached back out and said, well, is a is a sale of the entire franchise possible of the mi- majority share, or is this just about uh, selling a minority stake? And the response back was they are considering and pursuing all options. And so when you don't get pushback from Dan Snyder, which as we've seen in recent weeks, you know, the ESPN story by Seth Wickersham and others that uncovered a lot of the dirt and behind the scenes efforts to get Snyder out. Snyder released statements blasting that, accusing reporters in the media of people having axes to grind and making things up. He said before he would never change the team name. He eventually did. He said here that he would never sell the franchise. Now it seems he will. 
Here's my take on this. I think this is going to get even uglier before it gets better because as good of news as this is for the NFL, Dan Snyder and Tanya Snyder are releasing this statement, in my opinion, for one reason. It has to be that the Mary Jo White investigation, the former chairman of the Security and Exchange Commission, who is conducting the NFL's investigation into the Snyders and the Washington franchise on behalf of the league, that investigation has to be close to wrapping up. And I would be willing to bet a lot that the Snyders have an idea that all of the negative, or negative isn't even the word, all of the uh, absurd realities behind the scenes of this Washington franchise and organization, all of the sexual, sexual harassment claims, all of the previous investigations, including the one last year that got buried by the NFL and Roger Goodell and shame on the league for doing that. But this decision by Dan Snyder, this about face only happens with excellent reporting. As I mentioned, Seth Wickersham leading the charge there and ESPN and others at the Washington Post. It happens with diligent coverage of the of the truth of advocating for people without a voice. But it also happens, in my opinion, with Dan Snyder recognizing most likely that we are soon going to hear, if not just as bad details about what happened in recent years with this organization and under this ownership, it could get even worse. The money is crazy. The Denver Broncos just sold this past year for $4.65 billion. Dan Snyder purchased this team in 1999 for 750 million. So if he sells the whole team, he could get over $5 billion. So toss that number around in your head. The best thing for the NFL and the fans down there for the Washington Commanders organization is that obviously employees and the organization will, in the long run, treat people better, which is the most important thing. But for the fans and the game day experience, Washington, presumably under this new ownership, will finally get the stadium that a lot of public officials want to build for them in various areas that the Snyders have negotiated with, you know, the DC, Virginia, et cetera. But no one is willing to build it because of the stipulations that they don't want to work with this man. And they want the realities and the truth to come out about these investigations that the NFL has helped bury. So great news in the NFL that hopefully it looks like the the development here is that Dan Snyder will be eventually sooner rather than later selling the Washington franchise which is a historic franchise in this league and Washington having stable ownership and getting itself back on track back on its feet and from a football perspective not having a no nothing owner meddling in everything will make a huge difference in the NFC East and in the NFL and like I said, most importantly to the people who work there. Now, shifting over to current football matters, I was interested to look at the two first-year GMs in Chicago and New York specifically this week at the trade deadline and notice how differently they handled their situations. No coincidence, of course, that Joe Shane's Giants are 6-2 and two, and he was less active compared as far as selling players compared to Ryan Poles and Chicago, which is three and five, where he trades Roquan Smith, their middle linebacker, and Robert Quinn, their edge rusher, to Baltimore and Philadelphia, respectively. 
But the def- the difference is is stark. Joe Shane sells Kadarius Tony for a late third round pick and a sixth. The Chicago Bears, Ryan Poles, he gives up some total of all of his moves leading up to the deadline. He gives up Robert Quinn, Roquan Smith, and a second round pick in the Chase Claypool trade to Pittsburgh. He gets back Claypool, a receiver with an extra year still to go after this, I believe, on a rookie contract. Some help for Justin Fields. And with those other trades, he nets a second round pick back, a fourth, and a fifth. Both of these situations are long-term rebuilds. Both of these situations were inherited by young general managers who were on the same page with ownership that this was not going to be a quick fix. Kudos to Ryan Poles for making difficult decisions in the interest long-term of the club. Players that even though they valued in Smith's instance, for example, trying to get a deal done, but this is a player who was a holdover from the previous regime, who wasn't commanding the respect and money he felt like he deserved there, and who ends up going to a team with a better fit. Curious and interesting that Poles would be willing to trade his own team's second round pick for a wide receiver, despite the fact that Claypool is very good and certainly can help them. Uh, Former Giants receivers coach Tyke Tolbert over there has to be smiling. But When you look at what Joe Shane and the Giants did not do, they did not and would not trade a second round pick for a receiver, even though they were in that market. They wanted Jerry Judy. I know that for a fact. League sources told me the Giants were hot and heavy after Judy when it became clear that Denver would listen to those calls. This was not a situation where the Broncos were shopping Jerry Judy, but once his name got out there as potentially available and the Broncos obviously were struggling. And before they beat Jacksonville, there was a real chance that if they lose that game, I mean, they you saw they already traded Bradley Chubb. Who knows whether that flips a switch and they turn into a different mode for in you know 24 hours leading up to the deadline. But before the Broncos decided they weren't going to trade Judy, the Giants were among the, if not the, Uh, most aggressive teams pursuing a player that Brian Dable knew for a quick time going back to his one year at offensive coordinator at Alabama when Jerry Judy was a freshman for the Crimson Tide. But the Giants and Joe Shane were never going to spend that premier asset. And so it's an interesting look at how two teams in similar positions manage their deadline. Uh, The Giants, obviously at 6-2, and would have been a, you would think, a stronger candidate to maybe add that extra round pick on to get the player, the receiver in a Claypool or a Judy to get it done and get Daniel Jones an extra weapon because suddenly they're in the playoff race. But I understand Shane's long-term view of this. And I think it's a reasonable one to take from Daniel Jones's side of it. I think it's a difficult one probably to swallow because he's played very well. And here he is on a team where, the first round pick they had from a year ago, they trade away. Now, listen, that was about a player who just was never going to fit here. But the idea of having some talent in the building that could come back and augment your offense, obviously that's out the window now. It's just about Kenny Galladay getting healthy and that's it, waiting in the wings with Sterling Shepard down with the knee injury. So from a Daniel Jones perspective and a Giants competing this year perspective, it would be natural to look at it as the player or somebody and say, well, wait a second, are we really trying to win here if we're not going to get a guy? 
But remember that Joe Shane inherited a salary cap situation that made it difficult for him to also, uh, he had to shrink the pool of players he was examining and looking at because they only had 3 million in cap, in cap space uh, going into the trade deadline. And that's for the remainder of the season. So as they make practice squad signings, as they elevate guys and they have to pay them more on those game days and game weeks, Shane actually admitted he might even have to make another restructure. Uh, and so it, it was not like the Giants could just, you know, scan the NFL, scan the scan the rosters of every team, write down their wish list, and kind of and kind of go with unlimited assets. They could have gotten creative, and every team can get creative with the salary cap. But when you're looking at a long term approach and being smart, I understand the approach. I do think it's interesting though that John Mara. And Steve Tisch also felt comfortable about kind of standing pat. I mean, no doubt Joe Shane was making efforts to land a player if the price was right. But we know from recent experience several times over that Giants ownership gets restless in situations like this. And especially this year when they're exceeding expectations with solid coaching the way they are and their quarterback and their, and their number one player and Saquon Barkley on offense playing well. I find it interesting that John Mara is okay staying put, though I think long-term it could be the right answer. The question is whether it's the right thing for the current quarterback. That'll be something to examine. Sticking on a little bit of Giants, but my personal experience in week eight of the NFL, I just wanted to tell a quick telling story about my experience in Seattle. Um, Geno Smith, pleasure to cover in New York when he was here. and. Um, a really genuine guy. And I just wanted to take you inside the experience of how Gino ended up saying his quote about appreciating Jerry Reese and Ben McAdoo. So when you're a beat writer or, or a columnist and you're covering one of these games, a lot of times, if you let's say you're there covering the Giants like I was, after the game, you file a quick running story to go online. Then you head in the elevator, you go downstairs and you head over to a D Brian Dable head coach press conference. And then you duck into the giants locker room and talk to the players. That's pretty standard. If you have an extra writer there, like two or three writers on a staff, you might send one to the road locker room. If there's a special storyline uh, that's applicable that week to your local readership. But me being both a giants beat writer and also a league wide NFL columnist, and also always looking for a story that is unique to that week that I think is what would be the most interesting thing and the most unique thing to bring back to the readers and the people who are watching this game. What would people want to know about this game that you couldn't find out just from a standard presser or somebody who didn't know these players and these teams and walk in cold? And I thought that the answer to that was, even though time has passed, Geno Smith's mentality if he were to win this game, I thought would have been very interesting to hear from him. And so I made the call myself with, you know, the help of support from my editors gauging and asking them, listen, what, what do you think? Is this worth it? Do you think readers would appreciate it? They said, you know, go over to Seattle and we think that's a good idea. Go see what, go see what it is. So I go to the Seahawks locker room and Typically, there's no there's no loud noises in the locker room because you're recording things on your phone or your recorder or people have video cameras. The Seahawks were blasting music. I mean, it was deafeningly loud the whole time I was in there. But I walk in and 
here's Geno Smith who leads the league in completion percentage and, you know, just took the upstart Seahawks to five and three, just sitting there in his locker by himself, looking at some things on his phone, texting some people. And I go over to him and I say, Hey, Gino. And I was about to reintroduce myself because I haven't seen him in person in a while. Obviously you can communicate with guys here and there, but if you don't see them every day, they have plenty of personalities and faces to manage and remember. And so it's a lot. As I'm about to reintroduce myself, just to remind him, he looks up, sees my face before I can say anything. He goes, Hey, Pat. And that was cool to see because, you know, writing, um, doing a story with him the spring after his one season with the Giants, I remember writing a story where I advocated, this guy deserves a shot. He didn't get a fair shake here. And he was very open and honest with me. And I remembered that. And um, I think it speaks to him that he maintains those faces, those names, and um, you know, still appreciates that. Now, at the same time, as a reporter, in that case, I want to get a quote for myself and have it exclusively and have it sing in my story. And then everybody says, according to the Daily News. But Gino... He's trying to do the right thing in Seattle, and he was more than willing to help, but he didn't want to cross Seahawks PR. He didn't want to cross the Seattle writers. He wanted to do right by everybody who has been doing right by him in Seattle. And so he said, if they say it's okay, we can talk now. If not, I got to do it at the podium. Just be fair to everybody. So I reluctantly accept. Obviously, PR says it needs to happen at the podium. Uh, I do appreciate though the Seahawks PR working with me, Jeff Garz and everybody. It was great, great experience there. Um, but so I end up in the Seahawks press conference, and now I'm completely skipping all Giants post game availability. So now I'm kind of like putting all my eggs in one basket, not knowing if it's really going to pay off because I've missed Brian Dable's press conference, and I'm not in the Giants locker room at the moment that these guys are talking. You know, Saquon, Nick Gates, Daniel Jones. So I'm thinking, okay. I have to phrase my question well. I have to be direct and honest with Gino and whatever he says, he says. So Pete Carroll talks. He's funny and interesting. Then Gino Smith comes up to the podium with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, and they do a press conference together. Very interesting uh, situation to see. You don't see that often. Obviously, the players get along very well. I let the local Seattle beat writers, of course, conduct the press conference because that's just that's just what you do. You don't jump in and ask a national question over top of people who've been covering this guy every day. That's not what you do. And so the press conference goes for six, seven, eight, nine minutes. And they're asking all different, all different topics of locket, dropping a pass, catching a touchdown, double moving a Dory DK Metcalf. Was he hurt? Was he not? He plays, he catches a touchdown. Gino, one of the most surprising and interesting stories in the NFL. And at one point, about eight and a half, nine minutes in, I decide it's time to ask my question. So a woman and I both try to ask our question at the same time. We kind of stop, look at each other. I say, no, you go first. So she asks her question. Gino asks, answers her question, finishes it, and then he turns and looks at me and just gives me a nod and goes, Pat, and gives me the platform, at which point I ask him, I say, you know, Gino, do you get any sense of revenge or um, or vindication from beating the Giants, considering how you were treated, despite uh, how professionally you conducted yourself while you were in New York. And that was the question, the sequence, and the whole decision-making process of mine that led to Gino taking the high road and saying, I have nothing against anyone in New York, but then putting his foot down and his, slamming his fist you know, metaphorically down and saying, this, this game was for Jerry Reese and Ben McAdoo, who believed in me. 
and that he didn't care for anything else other than proving his believers right. And so that was, you know, obviously it's tough to then have his quote just blast over the airways and now it's everybody's, you know, that's the competitive side of our business. Uh, but I just wanted to take you kind of inside that window of how that quote came about, how that situation developed and how much I appreciate uh, Gino and and what the Seahawks were able to do. And really just an example of why I, I love my job with the Daily News and now talking with you on on the Believe Podcast Network. Before we get to our guest, Benny Fowler, who is excellent this week. I mean, he's great every week, but excellent on a lot of topics, including Kadarius Tony's fit with the Chiefs. I think you'll want to hear that. I just wanted to point out that even though the Bradley Chubb trade to Miami was a huge one um, and probably the biggest player add to a team that looks like it can make some noise this season, and Chase Claypool was definitely a big name and a big talent going somewhere for a heavy price. Naeem Hines going from Indianapolis to the Buffalo Bills, to me, may end up being the biggest move that was made at this deadline. Um, you know, Roquan Smith to Baltimore could challenge it for sure. But because ba- Buffalo is already, to me, and I think to everybody, a clear Super Bowl favorite, probably them, the Chiefs, and the Eagles right now, Hines was so underutilized this year, kind of out of nowhere, by the way by Frank Reich and the Colts. He can run the ball, also extremely valuable as a receiver. And Buffalo, we know, prefers to throw it and also can get some run action going with Josh Allen able to use his wheels while also maybe using some misdirection with a guy like Hines. Giving up Zach Moss in that trade going back with a pick shows you that they're kind of all in on this pass-heavy approach But with a dynamic run and pass threat in Hines, they can catch teams off guard and expose matchups against linebackers that Hines is going to win 10 out of 10 times. He's going to be on the field a lot for them. Um, I don't think there's a player right now coming out of that day and that deadline day where I look and I say, I don't think there's anyone who benefits more as a player. And I think because we know the Bills are going to be playing deep into the playoffs and likely at least be in the AFC championship, if not represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. I think the Naeem Hines deal is the one to watch above all among everything we saw at this busy deadline. But that's all for me solo, because we're going to head over to our next segment with Super Bowl 50 champ, Benny Fowler and download on all things trade deadline, Washington, Kadarius Tony and the Chiefs, teams that are surprising, teams that are disappointing, Tom Brady and the Bucks, can they keep it together and get something going? You don't want to miss it next on Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. All right, welcome back to Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. We are back with our favorite guest, Super Bowl champion, <laughs> Benny Fowler. Beans, Benny, thanks for coming back, man. Pat, appreciate you, man. Talking Ball with you is always fun. It's always exciting. Uh, the NFL is crazy right now, so you know, looking, uh, looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, no, thank you. I forgot to mention last time you were on here too, and I forgot to tell the listeners that in week three before the Dallas Cowboys game, the mannequin in the Giants locker room, which always kind of models the uniform of that week for the team, had a white color rush 18 Benny Fowler Giants jersey on. What do you what do you think of that? Shout out to the Giants. Shout out to you for taking that picture. I actually called Saquon and Chef after that to see if it was, you know, you know. Are you guys trying to bring me back? 
you know, <laughs> go upstairs and uh, bring me back, you know, but no, it's, it's cool to see. And, um, just brought back some good memories of times that I had there playing with those guys and really just enjoying the moments there and in, in that locker room. Yeah, no, that was cool to see. Miss you in there. But we have a lot to talk about around the league, not just in New York. And I want to start with the news of the day as we record this right now is the Washington Commanders, after a Forbes report that they are going to sell, the Snyder family is going to sell, Washington essentially confirms that they've hired Bank of America to look into transactions. They're not pushing back on the suggestion that they are going to sell. Welcome news to a lot of people around the league. I wanted to ask you, Benny, as a player, when a franchise is this poorly run and operated, like is Washington considered a joke among players? Like, Do players see an organization like this and not want to play there? Does it trickle down to the locker room? I wouldn't say that when I when I talk to players about other organizations and franchises, I would say I would ask that question more of to the coaches because they're actually interacting with the owners and, you know, the president of the team more on a day to day. From a player standpoint, we're more looking at the coaches and seeing how they operate and because that's who we're interacting with on the on a day to day basis. Now, we do sometimes you know, get inside information on what the owner is saying and what they want. But I think we, as players, we more have the conversations in terms of like, who are we playing for as a coach? And, you know, you want to go play for a Sean Payton or you want to go play for Gary Kubiak or Bill Belichick, you know, some of the top coaches around the league or that have been coaches in this league. So I think from a player standpoint, you're more looking at, you know, who are you playing for and playing yeah, for in terms of the head coach on a day-to-day basis. I think that's where most of it comes into play because some of these owners are some can, you know, kind of be no shows, you know, you never really see them. And then some are super involved like a Jerry Jones or before Pat Bowling got sick and the Broncos got sold, you know, he was, you know, he's very instrumental in terms of being at practice. So you want to play for an owner like that. If you, if you know, they're super involved. What about the stadium? Because one of the major issues from a league perspective is Snyder is essentially crypt, you know, he's kryptonite. No one will touch him. And nobody wants to build a stadium, is willing to build a stadium for him in any of these surrounding states and counties because, uh, you know, they don't want to work with this guy. So from a player standpoint, when you go into FedEx Field, does it feel like an old stadium? Is it a trash place to play or when you're on the field there, is it is it like anything else? You know, I. I only had good experiences at FedEx Field. So, you know, caught a touchdown from Eli Manning there, saw Saquon make some incredible plays. I think we had a that game where we, we kind of, when I was playing with New York, Eli, and I mean, we kind of blew them out. Odell didn't play that game, but we blew them out. Like I scored, uh, Sterling scored. I mean, we just had an incredible, we had an incredible game. So I have nothing but good memories at FedEx Field. So um, I never really paid attention to it. You know, it's a little bit of an older locker room, but. You know, when you get out there and when you get to the field, it's no different than playing when we were playing against the Raiders when I was playing with the Broncos at the Oakland Coliseum. Yeah, it's a super old field, but like the the fan base, you know, you don't even pay attention to it because you're you're focused on the game. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see um, that super interesting insight from you just in terms of, you know, people don't want to do work with this guy. So I think it's going to be great for the league if if he does end up selling. I guess I guess you guys love playing on grass too compared to turf, right? So even though it's an Absolutely. old stadium, it's grass uh, surface. So like you welcome that, right? Absolutely, all the time. I mean, grass is the best you can, you know, the best for players in terms of, 
you know, just injuries, but then impacts, shortness after the game. You know, you play on turf, you're, I mean, you're sore for days after the game just because of the turf. So, mm. Interesting, interesting. Well, shifting over to the real football going on on the field right now, and we're just coming out of uh, an exciting NFL trade deadline day. Ten trades made on this day, which is double the most since 2012. I think five in 2017 was the most prior to that in that span. So a crazy amount of deals made here, Benny. And I wanted to run down a few to you and get your opinion on which one you think is most impactful for a team from here on out the rest of this season, and then maybe some of the elements of the other deals that you either find interesting or you think might make a difference. So the ones that I highlighted are Bradley Chubb going from Denver to the Miami Dolphins, Naeem Hines going to the Super Bowl favorite Buffalo Bills from Indianapolis at running back, Chase Claypool, the Steelers wide receiver, going to the Chicago Bears, and then Robert Quinn to the Eagles, the pass rusher from Chicago, and you also have Roquan Smith, going to Baltimore from Chicago to play in the middle of that defense. So which one do you see, do you look at there in that flurry of trades and say, this is going to be the most impactful from here on out? Man, to be honest, all of those trades, I think (laughs) the Dolphins, what they're doing, especially after, you know, getting off to a really good start, you can show, it shows their locker room that they're all in. When you get a pass rusher or pass rusher like, you know, Chubb, and you add that to your team who has, he has, I think he has more sacks than anybody on their team. I think the, their leader on their team has like three and a half. He has five and a half. So when you had a player like that, that's he's a game wrecker. Um, he's a first round pick for a reason. You know, Miami always has that great weather late down in the season. So he, you know, he can keep the body fresh. So <clears throat> I think that's an impactful trade. I like the Roquan Smith trade just to to Baltimore. He fits their culture. He's in. A, he's a great middle linebacker, great tackler. Uh, the Robert Quinn trade is. They already have a stout defensive front, but adding Robert Quinn to that, which only creates more one-on-ones for Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox, is is an enormous trade. And then what Buffalo did with that running back, it just increases the weapons that they have and just gives Josh Allen even more options, I think, even when it comes to that run threat and that read option type of play and what they're doing. That makes it even more powerful as as a runner and as as Josh Allen as a weapon because now they have even even more of a run threat with Hines. So I think all the trades that were done, um, the people that were receiving, the teams that were receiving players are all in win now mode and they all have a legit chance and shot to win. So it was incredible to see. And don't sleep on what the Kansas City did with Kadarius. Um that just becomes a new that that becomes a crazy weapon for them. Even if he's only on the plate, the field for ten plays a game, like Andy Reid and what <laughs> he will be able to do with that type of weapon is is pretty interesting. You're going to be hosting this podcast soon because that's what <laughs> that was my next question was: Will he make a difference there? Will Kadarius, with a change of scenery, can a player like that figure it out? You know, snap of fingers and oh wait, right system, new environment, fresh start, and can it all click that quickly for a guy? Absolutely. I look at Isaiah McKenzie in Buffalo. I was with Isaiah McKenzie for a year in Denver, and then I think he stayed for two years. And you know, the fans and the front office, you know, didn't necessarily like. They thought you know he was just a missed. He we they missed an opportunity, or they didn't think he was the right guy in Denver. He goes to Buffalo, gets in the right situation with Dayball and. 
Sean McDermott calling the plays. And now IMAC has been there for the last couple of years, has signed two contracts and has got and made some great money. And he is a dynamic playmaker, kick return specialist, punt return specialist for them, all their gadget plays. I mean, he just scored last weekend on Sunday night football against the Packers. So a change of senior can always do something great. Ryan Tannehill being the, the quarterback for the Dolphins, you know, in a prove it situation goes to Tennessee and then gets a hundred million dollar contract. So you, you see it all the time in terms of a change of scenery with players. Stefan Diggs, no different. He was already a dynamic player in in Minnesota, but he goes to Buffalo and then he's now considered the best receiver in the game and his stats are showing it. So, yeah, I, I think it, it could be a great uh, change of scenery for, for Kadarius. I don't know him personally, but hey, you know, it could be. That's an interesting perspective. Was Isaiah always a hard worker? And the reason I ask that is because Kadarius definitely profiles as a guy who needs to figure out a little bit of the process that you were so good at, not only doing yourself, but imparting to young guys of, here's how you be a pro. Here's how you function every day. Here's how you conduct yourself at practice. Here are the habits you need to make part of your daily routine. Because I, I wonder I wonder if Andy Reid and the Chiefs will – feel like they need to give him a mentor and really invest that way directly in kind of holding a guy's hand, so to speak, or, you know, is this the NFL and you either have to figure that part out yourself or you'll just drown? I think iMac was always a hard worker. I just think it was just the times and the situation, um, which is super important to a player. I just saw, I was listening to the radio the other day and, you know, they're talking about Bradley Chubb's career here. And then they were talking, they were giving a lot of flack to John Elway for not drafting Josh Allen um, in, instead of drafting Bradley Chubb. Like hindsight is twenty twenty. Like, yeah, look at Josh Allen now. But with the leadership and where the organization was at the time, Josh Allen wouldn't have worked out in Denver either. Like, you can't just say that now because he's thrown 50 mm. touchdowns. What about the coaches who were there? They weren't fit. And they were talking about how Patson Lynch was a bust or anything, a bust. But like Patson Lynch had first round grades from like 30 teams. You know, what about the leadership? Nobody wants to blame the leadership. They want to blame the player. So um, with Kadarius, I think there might be a mindset shift that now he goes to a team who is like Super Bowl or bust. That can change your perspective as well. Like, you know, that you're not like, you know, he has to fit in there like right into the team. He's not, he's no longer considered a first round pick in Kansas city. He's considered like, yeah, you're a piece like that's going to help us win a championship. Like we, we won't coddle you. We don't care like about your status or anything like that. Like we traded for you because we're trying to win a super bowl. So like you fit in or you don't like, and they can, they can win with them and they can win without them. So that's a, it's a different place when you're, when you're coaching like that. Really good perspective in Denver, staying in that division, um, what reaction have you seen or heard to them dealing away a player like Chubb? Because they got they got a much needed win there in London, but season still hasn't started the way they wanted it to. Now you get rid of one of your best players. You know, what do you sense is kind of the 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 environment around there? If if I'm a player in that locker room, I'm like, we're like, okay, we're on like we're in rebuild mode. I don't think they clearly up front. We don't think we can win a Super Bowl this year. You don't trade our the, the leading uh, pass rusher that we have, especially with the one that we paid in free agency being hurt. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how I think about it. I think from the fans and things that I've heard, you know, it's just kind of mixed mixed feelings. 
because he is playing well this year and like why would you do that and then it's like you know some people like you know think that they should have moved on so it's just a super interesting time here and in in football like you know the teams that are supposed to be doing well aren't doing well and the teams that were just kind of you know on the edge of doing great things or weren't so great are now doing really well and i think that's the league is kind of shifting to um new times and speaking of new times and unexpected results and change of scenery benefiting a player i just came back from seattle watching geno smith beat the giants and you know there's people listen his numbers aren't at mahomes or allen's level at touchdown wise and that kind of thing but you've heard whispers of does this guy deserve to be in the mvp race and the reason is because he is leading the league at 72.7 completion percentage and that's averaging 7.7 yards per per pass why do you think it is suddenly snapped and and functioned for geno smith all of a sudden in seattle it's not like he just got into the league he's bounced around to several different places but he's not he's not just managing these games benny like he is legitimately helping them win and being a major part of why they're winning yeah, I think one of the most important things is there is no substitute for experience. Gino has been in the league for a long time. He's very self-aware. He knows who he is. And he's now operating from a place of strength. And he now has a a platform and a team of leaders, the GM and the head coach that are behind him. One of the most important things for a player as they're continuing their career is to have people who can vouch for them. It's no different than an entrepreneur looking for an anchor investor in their company. If you get a big anchor investor like a Blackstone or a BlackRock or a KKR, whatever it may be, your company has totally different. You you just operate from a totally different place of strength in a, in a, in a different space. And I think that's yeah. one of the most important things that we should learn about Gino is that, you know, Pete Carroll believes in him. And so does the GM. And it was cool to see. I saw a little bit of his press conference after. It was cool to see him thank Jerry Reese and uh and McAdoo. Bob McAdoo. Ben you know, McAdoo. so like, you know, I think that's uh, Ben McAdoo. Excuse me. I think that's I think that's important. Like, you know, Gino's he's a pro. He's a pro's pro. Like, but, you know, it takes time. Not everybody's going to be the Peyton Manning, Tom Brady in their career. But Gino can play complimentary football, which is important for getting wins in this league. Yeah, I thought it was cool, too, because um, I, I actually asked him that question that got that answer. And um, it was interesting and cool to see him when you talk about support. He and Lockett and Metcalf doing that presser together. Like when they first came out and, and did it, you know, as a reporter, sometimes you're thinking, oh, no, 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 I don't want this because I want to ask Gino things. I want to ask Metcalf things. I want to ask Lockett. I don't want to miss anything that we need to cover. But it really had a, um, a visual impact on me in how, as he was telling me and telling us, like, this feels like home it really felt it wasn't hokey. Like it felt real that they all were that much on the same page and behind each other, I guess. Yeah. I think it was, I think it was really cool to see. I thought it yeah. was really cool to see. I think it's, it just speaks to who he is as a leader and as a person. And that's somebody you would run a wall, run through a wall for. Uh, happy for Gino out there. Um, shifting to a quarterback who is str- struggling mightily. Um, and we thought he was ageless. Um, he really has proven he is. But Tom Brady now and the Buccaneers, Benny, um, you know, obviously we see he's now has gone through a divorce. And this was something that appeared to be he appeared distracted. It appeared that 
things just weren't right in Tampa coming into this season from the get-go. But, you know, from your experience, and obviously I can't, we can't speak to the exact details of what's going on in anybody's life, but from your experience, like how difficult can it be sometimes for a player, even, even the best players to compartmentalize personal life and professional life when it comes to playing NFL football? I think it's very hard. I think it's very hard, but I like what Tom Brady did in terms of like just coming out and saying like, hey, this is what's going on in my life. And now just give us some privacy. I think that will make him play better. It's like, hey, this is out here. We now have let everybody know, like, please give us some peace and space. I think that was a big time move by him, which will also create some mental clarity because now everybody's wondering like okay he you know Tom Brady seems distracted and now he comes out and says hey I'm you know I'm getting a divorce please give us the the space and respect now everybody knows so now this isn't a talking point anymore Mm. we know he's going through a divorce and we know how we uh, we know that it could be we know we could struggle with that if you know if that were to happen in our personal lives so I think him coming out and saying that was super important um not for us as people as uh, I think, but just as um, for him, it's going to just create it's a lot function. of mental. Yeah. It's yeah, it's no different than the Kobe Bryant and what he was going through and how he was able to handle it. He's the one I've seen handle it with like, it looked like he like created a separate persona in his, in his muse documentary where he talked about like how that's where he created the black mom, but like Kobe deals with this, the black mama deals with that on the court stuff. So, but you know, it's, it's it's definitely a hard thing. You know, we're all human beings, and Tom Brady, he's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, but, like, he's still a human being at the end of the day. So, um, yeah. but he doesn't it's, get all the, like, he doesn't get all the blame. He's one of the leaders there, but that's the time where, like, you know, they just, they look off sync. They look like they don't care anymore, which is, you know, one of the things that I think yeah. now we we give, we need to give more, respect to Belichick and Brady because the partnership was was really good because the sustained success and things like that, what they did in New England, if Tom Brady was going through this in New England, I still don't, I don't think they would have a losing record. Yeah. And you can see Benny, like when there are some times where you can see his expectations for how a certain route's going to be run or how a play is going to go or how a game's going to be managed when it doesn't go, you can almost see that look in his eyes of, I know it was supposed to go one way. It went this way again. You know, it's like that he's had so much repetition at it being done right that he can't conceal his disgust for it going wrong because he knows in the moment. It's like, yeah, he goes back and watches the film, but he knows exactly in the moment how what was supposed to happen and what didn't and why. Um, And that's you're right. I mean, they did it together at such a high level for so long. Um, And, and, you know, I wanted to shift or, or stay in the NFC South and ask you, so you're, you're obviously pointing out the Bucs are really struggling as a team. Mm-hmm. The Saints have struggled and dealt with a lot of injuries, but they now just come off a huge win that they had to have, shutting out the Raiders. And this division, I mean, the Falcons are leading it at 4-4 four and four right now. And not to put the Falcons down, but do you look at the Bucs or the Saints, despite their bad starts, and see a team in either of them that – you believe could grab a hold of this in the second half and and <clears throat> merge and re, kind of reassert themselves. I think both of them will will re re uh, reassert themselves. I think um, Tom Brady's always going to figure it out, especially if you give him his bye week. 
he usually comes back after the bye week and he's like clicking on all cylinders. He has answered all questions. He's had his sample size of the season. So I think they definitely will reemerge. And then the Saints, the Saints, you know, coming off that big win, they still don't have Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry. They're still missing like key people that are, you know, that are their go to. So um, it's going to be interesting to see that that uh, division come down to the wire. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you mentioned earlier too about uh, you know the the league is very even. Um, there's a lot of parity in the league right now, and even though we still have a half season to play, Benny, I look at this and I feel like I'm seeing the Bills, the Chiefs, the Eagles, and everybody else. And other than maybe the 49ers in my mind, I'm not sure I'm willing to say that any other team outside of those four could win the Super Bowl. Do you agree <clears throat> with me or disagree with me there? Um, I would say like there are 16 teams right now all in it. Just because you can, you know, you with what we saw with Cincinnati last year, all you need is a team to catch that lightning in a bottle. I mean, you even think about the Giants right now. You think about the Ravens right now. Like, these are teams that can go on runs mm. um, and win multiple games in a row. I won't even put the Packers out of it. Once they figure it out, it's crazy that they didn't make any moves at the deadline. But, like, it's still Aaron Rodgers at the end of the day. It's, and then you think about Tom Brady at the end of the day. Like, Tom Brady can easily reel off eight straight. And, and they cannot lose a game for the rest of the season with the way he plays and how he conducts himself and who he is as a person. So, um I, I would there's there's I think there's multiple teams because just it's just so hard like Buffalo looks unbeatable right now, but I've I've been a number one seed or I've been on a team with a number one seed where we had 14 Pro Bowlers my rookie year in Denver we had we we had home field advantage we had everything and we lost to Indianapolis in the divisional so like we didn't think we were going to lose to them we blew we blew them out the first game of the season like I think we beat them like 35 14. Wow. We go on a run. We go 12 and 4. We got home field advantage. We're, we're looking to the Patriots the following week and, you know, we get beat at home. So that's why the NFL is the best. And you have these quarterbacks now. I think we were just, we're, I think we're probably going to get ready to talk about. We have these quarterbacks who can now run and who are dual threats. Like this is becoming a dual threat league. And it's going to be hard for the league to catch on because there's still only 11 players out there. So. Yeah. Like I said, man, you're the host now. I mean, come on. These transitions are so good. No. So that's actually a story I'm working on right now is, you know, a lot of teams and it's not a lot of the better teams. So you have the Eagles, the Giants, uh, the Buffalo Bills, you know, the Falcons are only four and four, but they're leading their division. They have a quarterback with wheels and Mariota. Even the Chicago Bears have kind of dug themselves out and become like a respectable team using a quarterback with his legs. Lamar Jackson obviously set the tone on this, et cetera, et cetera. But Benny, we've seen running quarterbacks before. Why are defenses not able to handle this run-heavy attack that includes the quarterback so often now in the modern NFL? I think it's the play calling now. I think it's the play calling plus the athlete plus the arm. You got the Lamar Jacksons, you have the Daniel Jones, you have the Josh Allens of the world who can run and who can make the right decision. I think that's totally different. Now the play calling isn't just, hey, like we're doing a, a QB draw. No, we have this RPO with a Saquon in the backfield or um, a, a J.K. Dobbins in the backfield, um, along with Lamar Jackson's legs, uh, uh, along with uh, 
uh, a Slayton on the outside in New York or some of the receivers that they have in, in Baltimore. It's just now it's, you know, it's not turned into a college because the play calling is still very, very specific. Um, and it's still the play calling is still unique in the in the professional game. It's not, it's it's, not college you're saying it's, it's not, it's oversimplifying to say like that's a college scheme coming to the NFL. Yeah, no, it's, it's not a college scheme. It's not like the Chip Kelly scheme coming to the NFL, but now like, you know, they've built the offense around Lamar and all his talents and strengths. New York has built the offense around Daniel Jones and Saquon's strengths. So now it becomes harder when you're, when a player's operating from a strength and not in a box, the player can, be super successful. Like our defense is smaller. Do you think, or is that a, you know, is that um, like when you look, when you look at the <clears throat> linebackers and the guys trying to take on these runners on the second level, do you see um, smaller athletes trying to bring down, you know, these big, you know, guy like Josh Allen or even Lamar now is put on some muscle. Is it more difficult even for them to just make these tackles because They've started schemes had to defend the pass when the NFL opened it up, and now they're bringing it back down into the into the box, and they're not as as uh, effective there. The these offenses are just creating so much space. There's so much <clears throat> misdirection. There's so much movement. Mm. You know, it's just it just becomes harder. That's why when you're Baltimore, you make a trade for a, a Roquan Smith, somebody who can go sideline and sideline and make those plays. It's huge. Great point. That's why you, that that's way. why you that's why you make a trade for a Robert Quinn if you're gonna play the the Giants later on in the year, because you need somebody to be able to rush the passer and then make those plays. Benny, you just uh, that everything just clicked. I'm actually taking notes to make sure I remember that <laughs> for when I'm actually writing this story because actually I was talking to some executives about the Roquan Smith and l- like you said earlier, great fit for team and player, but you know, you don't often see middle linebacker, inside linebacker. Um, you, you don't see teams spending high, huge assets on that position as much in the modern NFL because it's considered more replaceable than it used to be. But you point out a great thing here to me that's kind of light bulb going off for me is that's a trade with Baltimore saying, no, 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 we see where the NFL has gone this season and we need to catch right back up on defense. Yeah, they're going to need that in the AFC and potentially who they're going to play, you play out. If you play a Buffalo later on in the season, you're going to need a middle linebacker to be able to make that play. So if you're playing at Kansas City later on in the season, you're going to need that type of middle linebacker. Benny, you always make us smarter. Thank you <laughs> so much again for joining us. We're here going into week nine of the NFL season. Before you know it, I'm going to be in thanks in Dallas on Thanksgiving day, covering nice. giants Cowboys with playoff implications. Who would have thunk it? Let's go. Let's go. Let's love go. To, love to be on it, man. Thank you for uh, having me. I appreciate it always. You got it. Talk to you soon. All right. Welcome back to talking ball with Pat Leonard. Let's get over to Pat's picks for week nine of the NFL season. Turned in a tough record last week, five and 10, but still atop the daily news rankings at 500 exactly so far this season, basically 61, 61 and one record. Every Friday, I post my full picks on my Instagram page at PL on NFL. But here on Talking Ball, we give you some of our highlights and we give them to you early in the week. So let's get right to my favorites 
for week nine. The Seattle Seahawks plus two. So underdogs at the Cardinals on the road in Arizona. I love Seattle in this game. The second time these teams are matching up in four weeks, the Seahawks won 19 to nine in week six in Seattle, obviously a very difficult place to play, but the Arizona Cardinals scored three points on offense this entire game. The only reason they ended up with nine was because they blocked a punt in the end zone and recovered it for a touchdown. But Kyler Murray and the Cardinals are going to struggle to move the ball again in this game. I saw the Seahawks in person last week, and they contained Daniel Jones's running ability. Kyler Murray obviously is more difficult to contain in the running game than Jones, but both mobile QBs and frankly, the Seahawks defense is fast. They're well coached by Pete Carroll, a veteran NFL coach, and they're fast. I was really impressed watching their defense, Michael Jackson, Ryan Neal, Quandre Diggs, and Tariq Woolen in the secondary. Jordan Brooks at inside linebacker was excellent in that game. And Uchenna Nwosu, and even the veteran Bruce Irvin was extremely disruptive throughout the game against the Giants. I think the Seahawks are playing too well right now to be underdogs in this game, even on the road. Uh, the Cardinals, frankly, just don't strike any fear to me into a team in the Seahawks or really one of the hotter ones in the NFL. So give me Seattle there. Love that pick. Jaguars plus one and a half point underdogs against the Raiders at home in Jacksonville. Now the Jags are two and six against the spread. The Raiders though are two and five against the spread and coming off a shutout loss on the road in New Orleans. Not a lot of mojo going on with the Raiders. One of my big preseason picks, obviously a lot of egg on my face there, but I'm done picking and supporting the Raiders until they show me something. And it's very difficult in this year's NFL to get shut out. I mean, parity has never been greater. Any team seemingly can win a game every week, and the Raiders seem to be consistently disappointing so far. Uh, They need to turn it around fast. And frankly, the Jacksonville Jaguars, they have shown that they don't know how to close and finish games and win. And so that's why they've lost five in a row. But when you look at the Denver game, you look at the Giants game, you look at a lot of these games, they're moving the ball very well in chunks for a lot of these games. And then they're just making mistakes, especially in the red zone where Trevor Lawrence has to clean it up. Those turnovers are hurting them. But I watch their games and I've watched enough of the Jacksonville Jaguars to know that they play well enough, consistently enough through early parts of their games that the Raiders, a team that just hasn't been able to put a full one together really yet almost all season, is going to struggle. And I think because the Raiders haven't shown that they know how to win, I think Jacksonville is actually going to get off the schneid here, get a victory and snap its losing streak. Uh, The Titans plus 12 and a half at the Chiefs. I like this game if you're playing with some house money and Ryan Tannehill's status is still up in the air. This line is this big because the betters are waiting to see if Ryan Tannehill, the starting quarterback, He missed last week's win over the Texans with an ankle injury and an illness. Mike Vrabel has not clarified yet early in the week what his status is for this game in Kansas City. But you can tell that this line is based on the betters expecting and at this moment feeling like Malik Willis, the rookie, is going to make his second start. That's all you can believe right now because there's no other information. So if you have some house money to play around with, I would sprinkle on this line now early in the week before Tannehill's status maybe improves and it changes, and then it's going to look a little bit more reasonable and probably be more difficult to put some money on the Titans. So sprinkle it with some house money if you have it. If you don't, you know, stay away, wait and see. Falcons plus three and a half against the Chargers 
in Atlanta. This might be my pick of the week. I haven't decided what my best bet is, but this might be my best bet because, listen, the Chargers are coming off a bye, but their defense just isn't good enough. Their run defense isn't any good. They give up 27 points a game, which is the second most points per game allowed by a defense this season. The only team worse is the Detroit Lions. And the Chargers, I mentioned earlier that the Seahawks are fast on defense and they impress me and they're actually getting better every week. Brandon Staley and the Chargers defense still haven't demonstrated to me that they have a consistent plan to stop the run and to keep points off the board. It's just really that simple. And so until they can prove they can stop the run and consistently prevent touchdowns, I'm not going to pick them on the road to cover, let alone a three and a half point spread against a Falcons team that is leading the NFC South with four and four and relies heavily on its run game with Marcus Mariota at quarterback to get it done. There's nothing that tells me that the Chargers are going to just snuff out the Falcons and stop the ball, stop the momentum. And I think the Falcons are going to have the ball a lot in this game, regardless of whether they score a lot early. And I just think it's impossible for me to look at this and take the Chargers. Yes, the Falcons allow 25.6 points a game, but you know, you saw against the Panthers. I mean, they're giving up points, but they were scoring too. Um, I don't see them losing big here, even though Justin Herbert is a talent. The Chargers just haven't shown it to me yet. And then another one I like, though I'm not sure if I'm not um I'm not necessarily telling you go bet this one right now, but the Dolphins are five point favorites right now against the Bears in Chicago. And I understand the Bears, the team might react a certain way to having Robert Quinn traded out, to having Roquan Smith traded out. But one thing I like about the Bears, and there's a lot of things to like about what they've done, even though obviously, you know, you don't expect them to be a playoff team. But in the year one of a rebuild, they've traded away two of their better players. But they play really hard for Matt Eberflus. You know, when the when the other offense, when the other team's offense is on the field, the defense makes the Bears defense makes them feel them. You know, I watch a lot of games. I watch all these games every week. I go back, watch the film. I'm at every Giants game. And the Bears are the team that I have so far seen that hits the hardest, most frequently, that makes people pay for staying in bounds instead of stepping out. You know, I think I'm, I really like what I see as far as players being invested in what Matt Eberflus, the defensive head coach coming from Indianapolis, is trying to uh, teach them and get them to buy into as far as attitude and effort. And so the Dolphins have a lot of skill. They're very good. They add Bradley Chubb. They add Jeff Wilson. You have to like all that at the trade deadline. But as much as they went into Detroit and scored a bunch of points and beat the Lions, they only beat Detroit by four. I mean, the Bears are way better than the Lions and way tougher to play than the Lions. And the Dolphins only beat the the Lions on the road by four points. So I look at the Bears, I see them adding Chase Claypool. I see Justin Fields, you know, playing some exciting football, even though it's up and down. And also that run element that they've now committed to more with Fields. Yes, they're coming off a tough loss to Dallas, but Dallas has a very fast, very good defense. The Dolphins have some good players on defense, but they could give up some points too. I think that the Bears cover here, again, it's not as strong of a recommendation for me, I think, as the Atlanta game, uh, the Jaguars game, or the Seahawks against the Cardinals. But I'm going to end up picking the Bears to cover this five-point spread. Wouldn't be surprised um, if that line shrinks a little bit as the week goes on. And then finally, this is a look, but don't touch. I just wanted to bring it up because uh, it opened my eyes. The bills are 13 point favorites at the jets. Jets fans have to be looking at this line and thinking, 
we were so excited about this season and how it started and about a lot of our team. Of course, the injuries have really hurt them, but Zach Wilson's inability to play NFL football at the quarterback position stands out to you when you see a line like this because the Jets' defense is pretty good. It seems like the players are rallying around Robert Sala and this team, and it seems like there's a lot about them, even at the skill positions, that could compete at least at least more than a 13-point line at home. Obviously, the Bills are the best team in the NFL. There's no reason they shouldn't be favored by significant points. But just looking at that, if you're a Jets fan, it makes you shake your head at just the disparity at the most important position on the field, which is everybody knows the reason that that line is what it is. Um, all these lines, by the way, presented and taken from Bet Online, our sponsor here now. Thank you so much to Bet Online for jumping in and joining up. We're thrilled to have you. And as I always say every week, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, my YouTube page, the Believe YouTube page. Subscribe, like, review. Every piece of feedback and support helps. So we always appreciate our listeners, our viewers. Thanks for joining us here in week nine of the NFL season. We will see you next time on Talking Ball. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.